There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. It's Friday, June 17th. From inside the WTOP newsroom, this is the DMV Download, brought to you by the men and women of Steamfitters Local 602. Get an estimate and learn more at steamfitters-602.org. Today, we look back at the lesser-known stories from the Watergate scandal that's marking 50 years today. The pivotal event ultimately led to the first resignation of a sitting U.S. president. WTOP's Rick Massimo tells us about his series interviewing and collecting the stories you may not have heard about Watergate. So he's calling his friends and family back in Ohio. <laughs> and meanwhile, the Using entire... The perk. Yeah, and meanwhile, the entire Watergate break-in uh, operation is like, when is this guy going to leave so we yeah. can break in and subvert democracy? And where are the voters? That's the question D.C. election officials are asking. We discuss what low early voting numbers mean for the D.C. mayoral race and how the candidates feel on the major issues at hand with WTOP's Will Vitka. It might be a nail-biter, if only because we don't know how many folks are actually going to come out to vote. Thanks for joining us. I'm Megan Cloherty. And I'm Luke Garrett. An unquenchable thirst for power and a president willing to keep it no matter the cost. An executive clinging so tightly to his office, he tried to run around democracy and the Constitution in an attempt to ensure his seat in the White House. Fifty years ago today, five burglars broke into the Democratic National Committee headquarters inside the Watergate complex. Just over two years later, Republican President Richard Nixon resigned after two Washington Post reporters, Carl Bernstein and Bob Woodward, investigated and connected the break in and cover up to the 37th president. Over the last three weeks, WTOP's Rick Massimo has interviewed numbers of authors and reporters who wrote about Watergate and its various storylines. Rick, thanks for being here on this 50th anniversary. Yeah, sure. <laughs> So, Rick, let's start at the very beginning of this two-year saga and the person who kicked off this investigation, Frank Wills. He's the Watergate security guard who noticed a piece of tape on the door's lock. This led to the arrest of the five inside the Democratic National Committee. You talked to Adam Henning, who wrote a book on Wills. What did he tell you about this security guard's little-known story, and why is it important now? Well, the thing about Frank Wills, he was the security guard working at the Watergate. Now, I got to tell you, the story of how this all happened is fascinating. He was working the midnight to eight shift at the Watergate, and he noticed that there were a couple of pieces of tape on the doors, you know, over the latches so that they didn't actually close. And when he first saw it, he didn't think anything of it because workers and uh, and delivery people would, would do that sometimes so that they didn't have to fumble for their keys 30 times if they're going back and forth and back and forth. So he didn't think much of it. So he took the he took the tape off and uh, and closed the doors and they locked and that's fine. Now, in the meantime, at the Howard Johnson's that used to be across the street from the Watergate, hmm. the lookouts for the burglars are, are they're waiting for the last guy to leave the DNC headquarters. Mm. And that last guy is Bruce Givner. He's currently a uh, a lawyer in Southern California, but at the time he was a college student. Hmm. He was an intern at the DNC, and, you know, he was pretty penniless. And the DNC had 
a Watts line, which i pretty sure there are maybe two people in the entire WTOP newsroom who knew what a Watts line was. But essentially, it was free long distance. Mm. So he's calling his friends and family back in Ohio. <laughs> and meanwhile, the Using entire- the perk. Yeah. And meanwhile, the entire Watergate break-in uh, operation is like, when is this guy going to leave so oh, he God. can break in and subvert democracy? And at one point, he has to go to the bathroom, but he's like, oh, I can't leave because then the door will lock behind me and I can't use the phone anymore. So there's a potted plant on the balcony. No. Yes. And <laughs> no he, way. he takes care of business in the potted plant while the guys are watching him. <laughs> on the, oh, come on, man. Oh, my God. So he and finally he finishes his phone calls. He uh, he turns off the lights and he leaves. He and Frank Wills go to the go to the Howard Johnson's across the street, the restaurant in the ground floor, get some food. And that's when the Watergate burglars spring into action. Wow. Frank Wills comes back. He sees, oh, there's tape on the door again. And that's when he calls the police. Now, the thing about Frank Wills is that he was a, you know, he was a $2 an hour security guard. Uh, Adam Hennig points out, you know, it's no coincidence he's the only black person involved in Watergate in any way. Mm. And uh, and he's the $2-an-hour security guard who sets the whole thing in motion. And, you know, it didn't end well for Frank Wills. He ended up back in uh, South Carolina, where he came from, uh, taking care of his mother. That was Nixon country, so he was not considered a hero mm, there. Yeah. He was considered a hero to a lot of people in the country. He was not considered a hero there. He had tried to make a career out of out of his notoriety, which I'm not sure exactly how you do that. And especially, Hennig said, he just really didn't have that kind of personality. Uh, you know, I somebody somebody yesterday said he'd be a social media star now. And... You know, theoretically, yeah, but not really because he didn't have that kind of personality. You know, there were plenty of members of Congress who, in gratitude, they said, you know, apply for the Capitol Police. We'll, you know, we'll get you in there. We'll, mm. we'll, we'll help out. But he didn't have a high school diploma. He, for whatever reason, couldn't finish a GED course. So he ended up back in South Carolina where he was very much not considered a hero. And he scuffled around various various jobs and uh he died young and and mm. penniless in uh in South Carolina and this is an important part of the story though and one that people haven't really heard about well that's the other thing you know i was surprised to find out that this was the first book on it on mm-hmm. on frank wills and adam hennig said he was very surprised when he started working on it to to find out that there wasn't a book on it Speaking of books, if you have not read All the President's Men or seen it, this might be the weekend to do that. Um, There has been a ton of coverage. I mean, when you talk about books and movies on this event um, and obviously the stories of Carl Bernstein and Bob Woodward, which we know. But there are other reporters who are covering it, including my father, just to start with, but also including Dave McConnell, um, who worked for WTOP at the time. And you spoke to him about this. How does he remember this event? Well, the. The phrase that, that really stuck with me was he said, everything was amazing. There was just new revelations every day. And, you know, at first, obviously, it's a it's a metro crime story. You know, it's a break-in. Yeah, the, it starts like a local story. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, local, it's a local crime story. Mm. And then, you know, it was Woodward and Bernstein who, who found out, like, hey, why is a 
why is an ex-CIA agent involved in this? And right. why is, uh, you know, why, why, why does he have the phone number of somebody from the committee to reelect the president? And then, and multiple people have said this, the real turning point was in October of 1973 when they asked uh, Alexander Butterfield, is there a, uh, a taping system in the Oval Office recording all these conversations that we've been speculating and arguing about so that we could actually maybe know exactly what's happening? And, and when he said yes, that's when Dave said that's, that's when we knew the jig was up. And so, you know, while the Watergate break-in, you know, gets the most attention, obviously, it wasn't the only time then President Nixon kind of used secretive counterintelligence operations to plug leaks and, you know, punish political enemies, really. And you talked to Gary Graff about this, a former editor at The Washingtonian and Politico. And, you know, he just wrote a book called Watergate, A New History. How does he write about Watergate in this new book and how is it different? Well, the thing is, he wrote the first book on, remarkably, the first book on Watergate in like more than 25 years. Mm. So there was a lot of new knowledge since then. Uh, we know who Deep Throat was. We know, and m- perhaps even more importantly, we know about the Chenault affair. You know, it was long whispered, but kind of established as fact about 10 years ago. This is the campaign by which Richard Nixon reached out during the 1968 campaign to the South Vietnamese government and said, ruin these peace talks uh, because if you wait until we are in the White House, we'll give you a better deal. So yes, let me let me restate that more simply. Uh, somebody who is not president of the United States is reaching out to a foreign government and saying, please extend this war in which American soldiers are dying and that way, that will help me get elected president. So mm. that is what he called the original sin of the of the Nixon presidency, and he was looking over his shoulder the entire time. You know, for example, when the when the Pentagon Papers came out, Nixon went ballistic, and the thing is, Nixon isn't mentioned in the Pentagon Papers. There's nothing in there to you know that would affect him. But the fact that people were, were, were giving information out to the press drove him nuts. Mm. And that's when he formed the group called the Plumbers. And now you have the Plumbers. Now you are authorizing break-ins at Daniel Ellsberg's psychiatrist's office. Mm-hmm. You're, you're authorizing break-ins at the Brookings Institution. So now you have to cover up the fact that, that you've done that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people are pretty sure that Nixon did not know about the Watergate break-in before it happened. But by that point, the plumbers, like, this is what they, this is what they just figured their job was. And so now he's got to cover up Watergate so that people don't find out about the plumbers. Mm. And, of course, people did. So, but it all comes back to subverting the peace talks in the Vietnam War in order to get elected. Um. You may have noticed at the beginning of this introduction the parallels between how we set up this interview about Watergate and the current situation our country finds itself in with the January 6th hearing. Uh, Luke says an unquenchable thirst for power and a president willing to keep it no matter the cost. Um, Obviously, we need to see how those hearings go. But a lot of the people you spoke with mentioned those parallels. And I I wanted to talk to you about that. Um, What does that tell you? 
Yeah, I didn't ask anybody I interviewed to compare Watergate to January 6th, and yet they all did. And what it tells me, I mean, Ken Hughes from the from the Miller Center on the Presidency, uh, you know, he said the the strain of authoritarianism and and you know lack of use for for democracy just sort of has never gone away. Uh, the this idea that Nixon was didn't really do anything didn't really do anything bad and was railroaded by the by the Ivy League elite. Uh, I can tell you that never went away because I have not gotten a lot of emails on this series of stories, but 100% of them have said exactly that, hmm. that Richard Nixon didn't actually do anything wrong. And this, you know, Hughes, Graff, uh, Michael Shudson, uh, they, everybody I talked to, you know, that same sort of, that same sort of sense that I'm being persecuted by the elite forces, therefore I can persecute in return. That sort of conspiratorial mindset has never gone away. And they all said, we're, we're, we're seeing it right now. We're seeing it on display. We're seeing, I mean, the, the hearings that are going on right now are revealing that. We talk a lot about Watergate, um, especially I'm sure you've seen a lot of coverage this week being that it's the 50th anniversary. Please take time to read Rick's stories. I mean, we've heard from people who say that they have taught Watergate and they've learned something from your stories. So fantastic job. Ah, thank you. And thank you for, for your time today. Yeah, thanks for having me. And after the break, perhaps the country's most democratic city is primed and ready for its mayoral primary next week. We talked to Will Vidka about what the candidates have to say about the major issues facing the district. If you want to save money and grow profits on your next commercial heating, cooling, HVAC, or refrigeration project, go with the men and women of Steamfitters Local 602. You can trust the experience of its workforce, members who have expertise in heating, air conditioning, refrigeration, and process piping to deliver work that's on time and on budget. For a partner you can trust who's mutually focused on your bottom line and to schedule, contact Steamfitters Local 602 at steamfitters-602.org. That's steamfitters-602.org. Steamfitters Local 602, changing lives. Gas prices have been going crazy lately, but here at WTOP, we have something that might help. It's called Fuel Your Summer, and it's WTOP's free gas giveaway presented by Astound Broadband. All you have to do is go download the WTOP app, register on the My WTOP page, and enter for your chance to win $100 in gas gift cards per day and the grand prize of free gas for a year up to six grand. During the month of June, fuel up on us. Just download the WTOP app, register, and enter for your chance to win today. Fuel Your Summer is brought to you by Astound Broadband, powered by RCN. Boost your internet with a gig and experience better. Visit astound.com. So check it out as soon as you can. The D.C. primaries are next week, Tuesday to be exact. And in D.C., which is, of course, historically Democratic, the primary essentially decides the race for mayor. However, it's also true of primaries, especially those in the summer, that they don't pull big numbers of voters here. So, you know, the results of this primary election could be interesting. WTOP's Will Vidka has been following the race and wrote the latest articles on WTOP profiling each candidate. These candidates include Mayor Muriel Bowser, who's seeking her third term, at-large council member Robert White, longtime resident and comedian Rodney Redgrant, and former ANC commissioner James Butler. 
We will not be hearing from Councilmember Tran White, who we reached out to but was not able to interview with us. So, Will, to start, you know, where does the state of this race really lie? What are the numbers and, you know, who's really likely to win here? So according to a poll from Robert White's camp, there's a statistical tie between the council member and the current mayor. It's very telling that they're using the term statistical tie in that email that they blasted out, which was supposed to be a boast, but we obviously don't know exactly where voters are going to go. Hmm. It does suggest that Bowser, at least on name recognition, has a lot of weight. The other complicating thing, too, and it's just goes to Elections 101, her two competitors have the same last name. I mean, so I mean, it's not seriously. So if you're a voter and you maybe aren't as close to this as you, you know, you remember white. But it's just one of those things when you're going into a primary, you're like, oh, gosh, that could be a complicating factor. Right. Tran Robert White. Yeah. Anyway. um, So crime, obviously, is top of mind for most residents who've expressed in multiple polls that this issue is of most importance to them. For many, um, it has them deciding whether they want this to stay in the city. Um, Each candidate has to address crime. We'll be hearing from the candidates themselves throughout this conversation. Will, let's start with Mayor Bowser. Um, Today, she actually just announced she's um, offering $20,000 in hiring bonuses to help recruit D.C. police officers whose starting salary is about $60,000. Tell us, you know, you and I have been covering these press conferences for, what, two years now? Tell us really what she is touting as far as crime goes, as, as what she's done and what she plans to do. Well, that was something that our colleague Mike Marillo asked Bowser directly, which was, you know, what's your plan with the police department? And Bowser is fully, you know, 100 percent steam ahead, hire as many D.C. police officers as is possible. Hmm. That that that's her her big target. What I've had to do and what the chief has had to do is use overtime uh, to make sure we have the officers that we need. And that's um, that is not a sustainable solution. And James Butler made a similar call during our talks, which is he wants to hire 700 more officers over the course of his first year in office. Uh, Robert White wants to keep things more or less where they are and instead is looking toward uh, more programs for the younger residents of DC. Keep them distracted is the wrong word, but keep them occupied. In so, sort of capacity. like violence prevention. Yeah. 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 We're going to stop using police as a catch all agency. The additional people we hire will be people who can deal with the issues of mental health issues. Tran White, you know, we would have loved to have heard from him, but uh, he decided to not respond to any of our requests for interview. Mm. So, We can't say what his position on that is other than what he's posted to Instagram. But it it really does seem to be more cops on one end and more violence prevention on the other end. That's not to say that Bowser is not interested in violence prevention, but it's, you know, you're taking the first line out of what a politician says Mm -hmm. for Bowser and for for Butler, it's more cops. For Robert White, it's more prevention. Mm. And so now moving to this topic of, you know, economic recovery post pandemic and, you know, tied to that, you know, housing, how people, you know, can really live during these, you know, difficult economic times. The single unifying comment from all of the candidates for D.C. mayor is that they acknowledge that there is a housing crisis. That's actually kind of important. So they know there is a problem. 
each one wants to do things a little bit differently, of course. And we went through this. It's almost it's almost too much to condense into 15 seconds here or so. Right. Um, but a lot of it has to do with finding properties that are not being utilized or at least are not being utilized properly, uh, rezoning and actually the Washington football team comes up a bit, the commanders, as they've been recently retrofitted, taking that RFK site and turning it into housing. Mm -hmm. Which is really, I mean, a pie in the sky thing to start with because it's not our land right now. So the conversation around it, we do have to say it it is federal land that has not yet been um, given to D.C. Right. So Bowser is making a push, for example, to get that land back to D.C., Robert White would prefer that we get that land and not just get it back to DC, but, you know, a, a, a strong no to the commanders. Let's just put up affordable housing there. I'd first like to see my dad be able to move back into the district. So I recognize that housing is the more urgent need for our city. And James Butler is saying, as a matter of fact, I would like to turn that into affordable housing, but also I want to talk to the attorney general and make sure that we are pushing out developers who are not creating affordable housing. We will look into zoning, rezoning portions of downtown. There's a lot happening there. Actually, White and Butler are pretty similar on that aspect. Uh, Trayon White in the NPR debate that was held maybe, what, a week ago, guys, a week and a half ago? Um, He was saying when it came to the housing crisis that he rewrote the law to make the housing production trust fund more affordable for lower income residents. But he said it's become a slush fund for developers in D.C. To your point, Will, that when they build, there's only a few units per development project for affordable housing. Um, Every single candidate in that debate also spoke to this crisis. Um, Bowser has, you know, touted this huge affordable housing um, goal that they've made significant progress toward. And I imagine she's using that in her argument to win a third term. Our focus has been on training D.C. residents for high demand jobs that pay well, um, that will allow folks to buy homes and raise their families right here in the District of Columbia. But there's a problem of um, what is actually being done. What, what, what are the results of this? Mm-hmm. One, of the, one of the other things that, that gets touted a lot, especially from Robert White, is you know, Vision Zero has not reduced traffic fatalities in the district. If anything, we're seeing traffic fatalities go up. Bowser is not, Bowser has a lot of weaknesses here in terms of what she's tried to implement versus the actual results of what she's tried to implement. Mm. And that's that's probably going to be a problem for her. I'm not going to say that she's going to steamroll her way to victory. She might. She very well might. But again, that, that internal poll from Robert White, that's a statistical tie, uh, you know, the voters will decide ultimately. Um, but the core issue, I guess, is what do voters want to see? And I think that for the most part, they like what Bowser's doing, even if it's only in name. And we've kind of covered this, but, you know, is it going to be a nail biter? I don't think so. <laughs> well, that, I, I mean, just had the, to ask. Yeah, you know? the incumbent I mean, always has the, the upper hand. Right. That's just true. And she's been such a force in the city for so long. Um, and then you have the timing of this primary. Really, it's tricky to have it in the summer when a lot of people are already out of town or they're not even aware of it. Um, do, you, do you think there's been enough done, Will, letting people know about the primary in the city? Uh, that's a great question. And I'm not entirely sure. As our good friend and colleague Nick Ionelli reported earlier this week, uh, DC election officials were asking, 
where are the voters? We have not seen as much of a turnout as I think everybody was expecting, hoping for, etc. Mm-hmm. So maybe that apathy means something for Bowser. It might be apathy. It might be. It might be the <laughs> ridiculously hot and humid weather that uh, DC always sees. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I retract my previous statement. Luke, it might be a nail biter, if only because <laughs> we don't know how many folks are actually going to come out to vote. Yeah. Right. That could really be the determining factor here. Well, thank you for, you know, catching us up on where this primary really stands and kind of setting expectations for what we'll see. And before we go, you know, it's a really busy weekend coming up. We've got Father's Day. We've got Juneteenth. Mm -hmm. Something in the Water is in D.C. So, Mm -hmm. Megan, you know, what are you doing this weekend? So I feel bad. My dad's actually out of town. Oh, no. (laughs) So I'm not seeing my dad. Um, But I have a very funny story. When I was little... I really wanted to give my dad a Father's Day present, but I was obviously too too small to understand that buying things was like what people wanted. Okay. And so I went outside, found a rock, painted the rock a beautiful, it looked to me like a Santa Claus, and this was like obviously in June. Okay. But I mean, that's what, the, the rock spoke to me. It looked, it was in the shape of Santa Claus, <laughs> and that's what I, I painted on the rock, yeah. and I gave this to my dad for Father's Day, and he still like has it on his desk. Oh, that's the sweetest thing. And it's just, <laughs> Funny. My, my brother's like, I literally could get him like the nicest president. And he'd be like, but this rock though. <laughs> totally. It's a sentimental thing. So that's, it, what, that's what goes. Especially... Yeah, painting rocks. So, you know, just in case you didn't get your dad anything for Father's Day, that was a winner for me. So sentimental. You know, yeah. You might want to try the, the rock method. I will I will consider it this year. Not sure if my dad <laughs> wants a rock, but um, I might do it. Yeah. I mean, I'm telling you he does. I'm telling you he does. Um, yeah, and we're also going to go to a winery, I think, with my husband and just kind of hang out. It's supposed to be really nice. Thank God. It's not supposed to be this hot. Yeah. The whole, yeah, the it's going to be weekend. beautiful. Yeah, me and my dad, we're going to go golfing. Nice. Um, it's going to be sweet. Yeah. Cool. Well, we hope you all have a good Father's Day, too. And that'll do it for us on the DMV download. We are sponsored by Steamfitters Local 602. And we need to tell you, we are not publishing a show on Monday in honor of the holiday Juneteenth. Our managing editor is Craig Schwalb, and our music is by Real World. Give us a review and rate the show if you get the chance on any podcast platform. And you can find out more about this show on dmvdownload.com, where you can become a VIP listener. The DMV Download is a product of WTOP News. Listen in the D.C. area on 103.5 FM, in Virginia on 107.7 FM, in Frederick at 103.9 FM, online at WTOP.com and on the WTOP News app. Have a great weekend.